listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. ESG, it's easy as one, two, three. <laughs> I had to do that. That was kind of a given. So Jeff convinced me. He suggested we do a series, maybe a short series. We haven't really defined how many here on ESG, environmental, social, and corporate governance. So I will profess to saying that I don't feel super knowledgeable about the topic. So I kind of came into it with a little bit of trepidation only because I don't know that I have a whole lot to say. All that said, Jeff, I am going to like turn it over to you right away to kind of lead us down this path of ESG and and what it is and what's going on in this world and as it relates to professional services firms. So let me pause there. Well, thank you, Michael Jackson. <laughs> By the time we're done, I want to hear your rendition of Thriller. <laughs> Trust me, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> nobody <laughs> wanted to hear my rendition of that either, did they? You know, maybe we should we should title this this episode or this series with trepidation. One might not think that talking about environmental, social, and governance issues would be that big of a deal, but I think it is. And maybe that's just my personality, or maybe that's because my focus is on strategy and I see the complexity of strategic choices around ESG and how firms are or are not using it to promote and position their their businesses. So I think it's of strategic importance, particularly to CEOs and practice leaders, business unit leaders, to think this through because it's something that is growing and growing fast. And firms are going to have to deal with it, I think, because it's being driven, I think, for the most part, by a new generation of consumers, whether that's B2C or B2B, with certain expectations about businesses and the roles they they play in society. And I think it has taken on even more emphasis in the past year because of the racial tensions that we've seen in the country. And I think there are important things that exist in, in ESG and there, there, there are great rewards associated with it, but I do think there are serious risk associated with how firms position around ESG because these attributes of environment, social and governance have become deeply politicized. And as a result, firms need to be smart about what they're doing you know, short-term and long-term around these things. But I also think it has important ramifications, not only on positioning, but demand gen, intellectual capital agendas, and probably just as important employer brands. So we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about what's really driving this, what it is, how to think about it, and hopefully some of our friends will come on and talk about what they're doing or not doing around this in, in their various firms in a couple of episodes as well. All right. So let's start at the beginning. ESG, 
stands for environmental social governance. What does that mean when, with that phrase when it's used from your research? What does that mean? So I, and I will not say that I am an expert on this by any stretch of the imagination. So if listeners have, you know, comments they want to share, please, please share with us. But to me, ESG at at its current stage, and it is constantly evolving, is the outgrowth of a more conscious way for corporations to behave and for consumers to consume. And I think it's a 20th century phenomenon, but really got moving in the 60s, particularly around the environment. You've probably heard of, you know, socially responsible investing. If you're old enough, and some of our our listeners may not be, you know, they, they know about big tobacco and investment choices around that industry are apartheid in South Africa. And there's any number of kind of isolated events that investors use their political clout to influence situations on the ground. I think it's it just continues to evolve and particularly in the social dimensions of you know this past year. And just to ground this, Jason, I think it's important. You know, so in, in environmental we're talking about carbon emissions and climate change, air and water pollution, deforestation, energy efficiency, waste management, all of the things that we would think about, you know, traditionally when we think about the environment. But the real driver, I think, in in the E is climate change. The S is social. And and this is is really a, a focus on people, on humans in a multidimensional way, right? So it's looking at the customers and customer satisfaction, protecting data. It gets into gender, diversity, inclusion, employee engagement, how corporations interact with their communities, human rights, labor standards. You know, we're all aware of, of controversies around slave labor or sweat shop production of shoes and, and clothing and, and stuff like that. Then the third one is is governance, right? It's it's about having clear standards for running a company. You know, board composition, you know, the diversity of the boards, uh, bribery, corruption. One of the big issues is executive compensation levels because, you know, we see in the news all the time this disproportionality of executive compensation to the average employee and any number of things related to how the corporation interacts with governments, whether that's lobbying or bribery or other things that erode trust. Do things like, you know, leadership malfeasance fall in that? Like there's a (laughs) big story about McDonald's, this former CEO of McDonald's and kind of like a lot of just improprieties around sexual relationships, that type of stuff, like from the CEO was a really kind of scandalous mess. Does that fall into the G? I think this is really important. You 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 bring up a a great example. I don't think the E, S, and the G are 
clearly delineated and mutually exclusive categories because you might argue that, you know, those types of abuses are related to gender inequality, Mm -hmm. a patriarchal, you know, leadership structure, but that would also lead to governance, right? Why weren't the, the things in place that prevented this or allowed somebody to report it up and not fear retribution. Like the whole so, Wells Fargo scandal where, where they were falsifying accounts at the front of the house, right? So they would make an account for Jeff that he never asked for and using that to, to hit sales targets. And it, was, it just unwound into all these kind of levels of, of governance problems and structural problems and cultural problems. I mean, it wasn't just a handful of people that were, you know, bad actors. It was like a whole system of, of cultural problems that <laughs> led to very poor frontline behaviors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and when you yeah. and I went through school, well, at least when I went through school. Yeah. Jeff's you know, a lot older than I am. I don't know if the, this <laughs> know, but he's, he's, he's like a dinosaur. Whereas I'm, I'm more like a sprite young buck. You're a tadpole. <laughs> yeah. Tadpole. That's a better, that's a better definition. Anyway, yeah. keep going. This was stakeholder capitalism, right? Instead of just looking at the shareholders, yeah. we were looking at the communities and the customers and the suppliers and thinking more holistically about the corporate contribution to the world's well-being. And I think this is just the evolution of that. Yeah, and this is a curiosity question. I know I shared in this journey. You, you suggested you wanted to do this a couple of months ago, and I and I said I'm fine with that. And I, I but I said I didn't think I had much to say. And I and over the course of that journey, I've shared a few articles with you, and I think I shared an opinion piece about kind of the some of the changes in society. And I know in that piece, it was talking about kind of the the shift in business school education in a way to guide people down the path of shareholder value is everything like that kind of what we were taught in business school, right? It was like your job as a manager or as a senior leader is to grow shareholder value. And that's all that matters. Do you think that that, that, is that a true thing? Like the the idea that there was a time when maybe executives had a stakeholder view, there's all these different stakeholders that we are, that we have responsibility towards. And then there was a shift in, in business culture that led us down a path of it's all about, you know, enterprise value and shareholder value. Is that a thing? I know you probably remember the article. I can't remember the details of it, but you have a better memory for that stuff than I do. Well, I think that's the core of the strategic choices that we're going to be talking about here. I think it is a thing. You know, that's the University of Chicago and Milton Friedman. You know, the purpose of a corporation is to make money for its shareholders, right? All the rest be damned. And I think Friedman thought that the the, the board's and the management team would make smart choices in order to produce shareholder value, right? That you didn't need all this other stuff that it would take care of itself because consumers would self-select and if they weren't buying your product and it was because of a particular attribute that they disagreed with, whether that was cultural or operational or product feature, you'd correct that. And I do think that's that's still a very viable and appropriate way to run an organization. 
But I think on the other side, you know, we're starting to see a much stronger emphasis of purpose-driven organizations, you know, the evolution of the B Corp and any number of, you know, emphasis on things other than shareholder value, because the mindset is, well, we'll do all these things right. The shareholder value will come as a result. And I think that's perfectly viable as well. To me, in the purpose of our discussion is to focus on that big middle, if you will, where those two circles overlap. So, you know, if you have on the far left, purists and purpose-driven companies, and on the right, you know, you have the Randian, libertarian, you know, free market, unfettered capitalism, where we're just producing shareholder value. In the middle, in that gray area where people are wrestling with where to fall and how to balance that, I probably call that the herd, right? We're going to go with the herd where it's safe. And what does that get you? I'm not sure. We're going to talk about that. But I see that, you know, kind of, you know, all in on ES and G and all out, if you will, and then the big middle that needs to answer some hard questions. But all out is not necessarily all out. It's just silent, right? They're not necessarily, they're just not saying anything publicly about it. doesn't mean that they're not doing things internally, right? I mean, as a, or are you implying there are organizations and firms that are, you know, actively sticking their thumb against it saying, well, we don't care about the environment. We don't care about these social issues. We don't, you know, <laughs> that's, not our, that's not why we're here. Yes, there, there are. And as a matter of fact, you know, we'll cover some some examples, but Basecamp, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with Basecamp. You know, it's a software company that made a public announcement that said, hey, not that we're not going to do ESG, but their focus was more on the S and the social dimension. We're not wading into these waters. We are a software company and we produce software for this result. We're not entering these political waters. It's a distraction within our company. It's tearing our company apart. And we're just no longer going to talk about it. We're going to focus on software. They had a third of their workforce quit as a result of that. Hmm. And is that good or not? I don't know. I'm sure they eliminated a lot of the consternation within the company. But now you're running (laughs) shorthanded. What are you going to do? But there may be people who are willing to backfill that third because they're like, yeah, I'm burned out on all this, you know, controversy and everything. I just want to work. And they may fill them. Or um, I'll even think more pragmatically than that. They just look at it as an opportunity saying, hey, there are jobs at, yeah. at base camp. Good jobs, high paying jobs. I, I'd yeah. love to work there. You know, so there may be people like that. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. So there are risks and rewards to this, but I think it's important 
to kind of understand what's at stake here. And when I look at this, and and not just when I look at it, before you know we did this series, I reached out to CEOs and HR leaders and brand leaders, any number of, of firms, software companies and professional services. Um, and the reasons for doing it are very different. But I think it's really important to understand the business rationale, because getting back to those three groups of the purpose driven, you know, the shareholder value focused and the herd, there are business ramifications for this. ESG is taking on a much more global and focused emphasis coming out of COVID. And banks are going to be using these criteria in terms of lending money. So there's going to be a certain reality associated with your ESG positioning and access to capital. And whether you're a private company or a public company, you got to have access to capital. So you have to think through what that looks like. So time out. Why do you say that? Do you have data or evidence to, to point that to be true? Or is that your opinion that this is a thing? No, I, I, I have data and we'll talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it right now. Okay. But yes, very much moving in this direction. And one of the people that we could probably have on to talk about this is our friend Gunner. Hmm. And, you know, Gunner Branson is CEO of a fire which represents some of the largest investors in real estate and it's really important to those investors to invest in companies and communities that meet these criteria because they're all in on the ESG and you're not your your development is not going to get funded unless you're able to substantiate them. So access to capital is going to be really important. The second is recruiting. To a large degree, I think the ESG is also being driven kind of from a consumer perspective, from an employee perspective, because millennials in particular, I think, who tend to be less religious, look to their work for more fulfillment and and want the places they work for to be purposeful and doing good and giving them meaning. And by that, that means being aligned with their social views. And if you're going to want to recruit the best talent, I think a lot of firms are thinking we have to say something around these issues because it's important to the top talent we want to recruit. Okay, makes sense. The third is revenue and having to deal with buyers of services who want to see your ESG score because they want to choose vendors that are aligned with ESG thinking. A lot of organizations I talk to have not necessarily lost business because of ESG. They cannot point to an example that that was the loss, but they are regularly being asked in their RFPs to provide ESG supporting materials. I think that's another important one. And then the third, the third one, and this kind of overlaps 
all three of those, and that is this element of risk mitigation. And really the purpose of ESG from a business perspective, and that is about ensuring permission to operate. So managing the risk that would threaten your ability to operate, whether that's a a boycott and people not buying your product or having environmental issues that would lead to a shutdown of some kind that's probably not as relevant in professional services and software or having some kind of corporate malfeasance, right? Where the governance protocols did not, you know, stop something that should have been prevented in those other two. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about risk mitigation. And ultimately, all of this is about permission to operate in the industries that we live in. So anyway, it's going to be a fun conversation, I think. I think you missed one. What? So everything you talked about in a lot of ways was talked about through the lens of really risk mitigation, right? It's we have to be able to attract talent and we're mitigating our risk of not being able to attract talent. You know, we're, we need an ESG score to, to, to close a deal, but there is a giant pot of gold <laughs> for most firms inside of this universe of ESG because there's so much opportunity. The thing that I've always said on the E side you know, I'll leave it on the east side, is that what organizations seem, I always felt seemed to misunderstand was that, you know, the opportunity to solve climate change issues, the opportunity to solve, to decarbonize things, all those types of concepts that we've been talking about, that's a business opportunity, knocking. (laughs) And there are firms that are positioned to go create whole new practices and whole new service offerings they never even dreamed of to solve these problems. So I just think that you also have to kind of look at the flip side of this is that there, there's, there's opportunities to help your clients solve these problems that they face in every single day. And don't miss that window, I guess. I'm glad you called that out. That is absolutely spot on. I think that's an excellent perspective. I see that as part of the revenue generation, but it really does cut across all of them because there are opportunities in terms of recruiting just as much, right? A different type of working as a result of of some of this thinking as well. You know, we we won't get into the details here, but you think about kind of a lot of the the push around diversity and hiring, and I'm not an expert on this by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I do think there's some pretty solid rationale in that, you know, bringing diversity and thought into your workforce is probably a pretty healthy thing, right? We're, we're at a point in society where, you know, we've competed everything down to the bare bones. And if you've got a whole bunch of people that all look the same, sound the same, and think the same, it's pretty hard to innovate. You know, so this is reality. You know, you need differing points of view to, to get at innovation. I think there's some real rationale there too. So, all right, well, we are, we're at time. So, Let's take this to wrap. And I'm actually going to put, put it back to you. Where, where do we go from here? What are we going to cover next time for listeners that want to kind of go on this journey of ESG with us? What's next? I think we're going to talk a little bit about the risk and rewards of this. So ending right where you and I ended, I think is the perfect setup for that. You know, what are the risks? What are the rewards? Have you accurately assessed them and taken advantage of what's there 
are you somehow just muddled in the middle of the herd and just doing a little, or maybe you're going in just to be safe or something. We need to talk about the risk and rewards. All right. Well, we'll do that next time. This, this is going to be an interesting topic. I appreciate you bringing it to the forefront and we will go into it as deeply as we know how and do our best to bring, you know, sound thinking against it for firms. So, well, at least one of us will. Yeah, I know. I'll do my best. We'll see what you can do. <laughs> Talk to you next week. See you, buddy. See you. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.